Whoa, what's down? What's good? Back for another episode. Yes, sir. Episode five of the Mindful Malpractice Podcast. Thank y'all again for joining us. By this point, y'all know the drill. You know who we are. You know what we do. We're going to jump right in to our Life Changers segment. Okay, so today for the Life Changers episode, we are going to be discussing uh, PBMs, which are pharmacy benefit managers. And obviously, this is more Bryce's wheelhouse, so I'll let him do a little bit more of the explaining. But just to give a general summary, uh, pharmacy benefit managers sort of serve as the middleman between the drug manufacturers and then the actual pharmacies who distribute medications to the customers. So uh, Bryce, I'll let you expound on that just a little bit more. Thank you very much, brother. From a broad sense, we're going to be attacking this from the angle of really like an economic standpoint and learning about the inflation of um, medication prices or prescription prices. Over the past um, five to 10 years, the, the, the cost of prescription medication has gone up tremendously. And a large part of that is because of this middleman called a PBM. Now, where it starts, it really is from a top-down process where the drug manufacturing, they're actually not regulated in the price they can put on a medication, but you know, you can't just have exorbitant prices. Well, it's, it's interesting with medication, right? Essentially, possibly you could because people could die without this. So they're going to do whatever means necessary to pay for that prescription. And so a drug manufacturing company makes a medication and they have a set price for it. The PBM where they come into play is they take the set price from the manufacturer negotiate a deal with that medication. And then they end up relaying that information to a pharmacy into which they have to pay the PBM for the medication. The thing about the PBM is their information on what the price is, is completely undisclosed to the public and to the pharmacy. Being a little bit discreet can kind of be tricky in the sense where you have this brand medication that costs a lot and they're getting a rebate or kickback for however much they make off the medication. That information isn't disclosed and they can provide a set price to the pharmacy that might be a lot higher than what it should be. Right. And so you're now incentivized to charge more and more and more for the medication to the pharmacy as the PBM because the rebate will be higher and higher and higher. There's a direct relationship between that increase in price for the expensive medication because you're incentivized to get a higher rebate and then the medication that's being charged at the pharmacy storefront like a CVS or Walgreens interesting so uh you're kind of alluding to the economic principle of uh inelastic demand mm -hmm. and uh, it basically just says that you know regardless of what happens with price demand is going to remain constant exactly and, um, yeah that's you know what happens with this medication is like when people need it they're gonna have to come get it regardless and uh, that's sort of what kind of allows these pbms to exist in a sense because if demand, you know, was elastic or, you know, changing, uh, fluctuating with price, then, you know, a lot less people would be willing to go get these medications. It's like, yeah. that's extremely out of pocket pricing. I'm not going to get that, <laughs> but it's like, exactly. this is diabetes medication. I literally need this to keep my arm. Mm -hmm. I'm going to pay an arm and a leg <laughs> to get it, yeah. you know? No pun so, intended, um, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, unfortunately, yeah. But um, it is kind of one of those things where you're very much towing the line between capitalism and ethics. And uh, I think this is an area where you know you do want to allow people who perform a service to be able to you know recoup some benefits from that however you know from 
at least a legal, political perspective, you would like to see legislation enacted that puts regulations on their ability to, you know, kind of skim off the top with this. PBMs have been coming more under fire as of late, and I believe actually Michigan recently passed a law uh, regulating the practices of PBMs. Um, So currently the law, like as we're speaking, I think it was just passed a few hours ago, or it just got reported on a few hours ago. But um, basically it will limit their ability to spread pricing, um, basically, you know, creating a gap between the cost of the medication really that they get from the manufacturer Mm -hmm. and what they sell it to the pharmacy for. And it will actually, uh, as of 2024, it will prevent them from charging uh, medical plans more for the medication versus what they pay for the, pay the pharmacy, you know, to distribute them. Currently, PBMs can put gag clauses on pharmacists, at least in Michigan in 2024, they won't be able to do that anymore. So pharmacists will be given more freedom to openly say like, hey, don't don't buy this $300 medication. (laughs) This $30 medication does the same thing like you're saying. So they'll be Mm -hmm. able to, you know, advise customers to buy generic versus buying brand names. Obviously, I'd like to see more widespread regulation, but I think that is a big step as, you know, we were talking about bringing the inflation of drug prices, you know, back down. The reason why we're talking about this or bringing this to you guys is because maybe not everyone's in tune to what's going around in the economy, you know, or maybe that's not something that interests them, but it's cool to, once you understand what can drive the cost of something up, you can maybe, you know, you're more aware and you can combat that in practical ways, right? Like I had mentioned, find a generic or you could go to a independent pharmacy, which isn't necessarily bound by contracts or incentivized by the middle, by the middleman, a PBM, to charge a set rate for medication because they, they act on their own accord. They're independent. So I actually want to ask you, because I know you've talked a lot about um, potentially wanting to open up your own independent pharmacy. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think regulation like this, because, uh, well, you know, I... I'd assume there's a struggle for independent pharmacists as far as trying to compete with these Walgreens, CVS type. Um, Do you think like this regulation will help do enough to make independent pharmacies more competitive with uh, these bigger pharmacy chains? It'll it'll be a step in the right direction. A lot of times when it comes to medication and pharmacies, independent pharmacies, their vision or their mission is like a community, very family oriented. We're an independent Mm. pharmacy. I own this. I'm spending everything out of pocket or I'm getting support, but this isn't all about the price. This is about providing the best health service to the community. Right. And so that's always been one major appeal of an independent pharmacy. But to your point, there's heavy competition amongst the CVS or Walgreens because they have a lot more capital. They have better contracts with PBMs and drug manufacturers to where they can get a lot more prescriptions. And so when you see the limit of more disclosure coming from a PBM in regards to how they do the interaction between a drug manufacturer and a pharmacy, that might persuade customers or patients to think other, otherwise when they feel like they're being undercut by larger retail pharmacies, you know, they're like, hey, I'm realizing that if I can get the same medication at this independent pharmacy, which isn't bound by a contract from a PBM and they're charging me surplus, I'm going to go here instead of a CVS or Walgreens, no matter how well known the company is or what kind of convenient services they provide. Because a lot of times in independent stores, you know, it's not as 
big as a CVS where they offer mm-hmm. snacks or they offer alcohol in some states where they offer, you know, all kinds of extra, extra, extra stuff to attract volume into their store. So in short, I mean, it, it will provide a, a better position for independent owners to get their skin in the game, but it, it all comes down to capital. And a lot of times, unless you're a person who just either been gifted a pharmacy or, you know, you have a lot of money by other means, it's really hard to establish yourself in a competitive nature amongst the CVSs and Walgreens of the world. Well, you know, I also, you know, kind of want to ask, especially when we talk about like these independent pharmacies and, you know, trying to build like this community, you know, environment, you know, CVS actually runs one of the largest PBMs in the country, right? So they kind of have like, even though it's a middleman for everybody else, it's really kind of a direct link when you consider, at least, you know, as far as CVS is concerned. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think Walgreens has a large, at least partnership with a PBM firm as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, what is, I guess, you know, the process for these independent pharmacies, you know, how feasible is it for them to run their own PBM service? So, you know, I guess, you know, what areas are, how do they break into this space? Because obviously the entire goal is, right, we want to lower the cost of these medications, right, and hopefully provide the best healthcare possible for the clients. And, you know, it seems to me, you know, you're insinuating that that would be at least a little bit more effective from a independent pharmacy. So how do we get pharmacies more into this space that PBMs are occupying right now? One way of independent pharmacies can kind of find their way into the space and, you know, increase their competitiveness against the, you know, the giants of the pharmacy industry, CVS, Walgreens, et cetera. You had mentioned that, you know, CVS actually is a part of a PBM is Caremark mm-hmm. and Optum and Walgreens has a big contract, but really the PBM is, you know, it kind of works as that, the middleman has, we had mentioned before, and one way to combat that or to find, an entrance into that space would be to have your own warehouse distribution. You know, if you can have facilities set up to where you can purchase directly from a manufacturer wholesale and then bring that to your own warehouse and then distribute to your your independent pharmacy or if let's say you're an independent but you actually have some chains, you have multiple pharmacies throughout a community. And that would be one way, you know, the obvious um, barrier or challenge to this would be having the capital to not only have a warehouse facility to store medication, but then, you know, doing all the legwork to negotiate a contract with the various manufacturers, because there are a multitude of manufacturers. And so it really becomes targeting or really having a firm, a strong understanding of your community and what the, you know, overarching disease state might be. Let's say you're in an African-American community or Latino community, and unfortunately, there's a lot higher prevalence of blood pressure problems. And so if you understand that, you'd be able to target maybe one or two manufacturers instead of having to, you know, compete in a sense with a PBM who has a much broader um, scope of access to these manufacturers because they have a lot more capital. So if you know, you know, let's say I can get to a Pfizer because they're putting out good blood pressure medications and this is what my community, you know, is really coming to my independent pharmacy for having that understanding and that foresight of knowing what your pharmacy community needs and then using your in, your warehouse facility to 
thought that medication would be a really good approach to kind of find yourself in a more competitive position against those big retailers. And hey, when contracts need to be negotiated, that's when you call the lawyers. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, exactly. but, um, you know, as far as, and you know, I don't know how much the rest of, you know, the country nationwide or just state by state is going to follow uh, Michigan's model. But, you know, one of the things that kind of touched on in the reporting was also that like uh, PBMs right now aren't you know, strictly regulated, right? Like there's no Mm -hmm. real like set, you know, standard for it's like, okay, you have to meet these qualifications. You have to do these things. It's kind of just, hey, if you know somebody who knows somebody, you can go talk to them, get it over here and then, you know, ship it out to the pharmacies. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, with more regulations coming into play and more standards, certifications needed, I think this will also be like a great time for, as you were saying, like these small independent pharmacies to, you know, just set up a little something, right? You know, that just meets standard and it's like at least you know can communicate directly with these drug manufacturers Yeah. yeah i guess the only real thing that would really be left up to consideration as you're saying capital right you know mm-hmm. they have to have warehouses and spacing to you know mm-hmm. have their own distribution hopefully uh we're moving in the right direction at least um you know it needs more awareness obviously one state isn't the end-all be-all it needs to be something that becomes more of a broader conscious like oh you know maybe maybe there shouldn't just be an unfettered middleman who does whatever (laughs) they want um but at least it's really beautiful to see kind of the law and the medical specifically the pharmacy practice uh, coming Mm -hmm. together in this way and a lot of times, let's just take it a step further, you know, kind of stepping away from the PBM, but like Thursday boot, but this is just an example. This is not, you know, they're not sponsoring this. Not yet, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's a boot company, right, that uh, charges a really affordable price for a premium good because they cut out the middleman. They don't have to distribute their boot to a Macy's or um, brick and mortar place because they just do everything online. So you can kind of take that business model and then transpose that to the pharmacy world. That's kind of where Mm. independent pharmacies are trying to work in that, in that regards. And that's cool. It's cool thing to understand. Yeah. That would be dope, man. Cause yeah, I didn't see some of these drug prices and, you know, whatever's going to bring them down, please, you know, we need to institute (laughs) that sooner rather than later. Yeah, and it's unfortunate that, you know, for the younger audience, they're not necessarily the ones who need medication per se. And so mm-hmm. this might not be as appealing, but, you know, uh, one of the leading disease states and most prevalent in our country, if you could guess, believe it or not, is obesity and diabetes. And um, yeah. that actually is growing higher and higher in rates with the younger kids. So I'm sure there's definitely people out there that can um, seek a benefit from this conversation. Oh, absolutely. It's, you know, one of those things you'd rather have fixed now before it directly affects you because uh, father time is undefeated and there's going (laughs) to come a day, you know, when we're all going to need some type of medical assistance. And I'd rather, you know, fix the medical practice while I'm young and not in need versus turn around, get there and be like, damn, I really can't afford this medication before I'm taking this PBM thing more seriously. Right. (laughs) That made for a great life changer segment. So at this point, we are going to switch gears and jump into our social topic. And, you know, this one, hot off the presses. It's, you know, fresh in everyone's mind. Everyone's been talking about it, going crazy the last couple of years. We are going to be talking about NFTs and the crypto space. Mm. Yeah, where so there is money to be made. <laughs> <laughs> 
So for those of y'all who do not know, um, the people have been living under a rock for the last two years. Um, mm -hmm. NFTs are non-fungible tokens. Effectively, it is like holding a digital asset um, where you have a specific uh, link that's stored on the blockchain that, you know, basically grants you a right, you know, authorizes you as the owner of, you know, some specific thing. Um, it is catching a lot of buzz for the hype and the, you know, potential technological ramifications this can have for the future. Um, you know, it's a basically a brand new way of asset holding, potentially. Um, mm -hmm. It's also coming under a lot of criticism because as anything that is kind of new and unregulated, it is rife for abuse. Um, and so unfortunately, we've been seeing a lot of that too. So, you know, we just kind of want to talk about it from both of our perspectives. Um, I know there is a little bit of diversion of opinion here. Uh, so yeah. I will let, you know, Bryce, you can go ahead and kick it off and just talk about how, you know, your experience with NFTs and how you feel about them. Yeah, NFTs have been a real hot topic. And it's funny because I've been getting a lot more into investing and everyone I talk to who considers himself a conservative investor quote unquote, or anyone, you know, who, you know, for a long time, because this is so novel, this is people aren't secure and they're unaware. And, you know, when people are uncertainty and insecurities, you know, that doesn't lead to someone investing in something. So a lot of people mm. are against it just for the sole fact that they don't really know what it is and it's right. volatility. But, you know, things that are volatile, I found from these past couple of months or even past couple of years of just passively watching stuff happen, you know, the more volatile the situation is, the more potential upside and mm -hmm. the higher risk for um, major loss. <laughs> and so yeah. I'm at a young yeah. age, I can stomach that loss. So I've got, I got, I got my skin in the game a little bit in NFTs. And I like the principle of it from, you know, it being, I think the original intent of it was to be a way for artists to have a platform to have ownership over their material digitally. And mm -hmm. so from the standpoint that it provides a medium for artists to have ownership over their content and a way for them to exchange and sell that content and to grow its value. I like that idea, but you know, it, it's finding itself into a, a weird situation where what is the value of this content, right? And you have this art platform where I can create this digital content. Let's just say a picture of a cat, because that was one of them. Mm -hmm. If I have this cat, I'm going to trade it for something else. You can't have the exact same cat per se. That's what makes it unique. And that's what makes it original in its content. But with the internet, I can just screenshot it and have the exact same cat <laughs> and claim <laughs> yeah. it as mine. And so that's where the gray area starts to come into play. But in terms of, you know, how I've been getting into it, I just put a little bit of money in here and there and see what it can do. Yeah. So, um, and you know, I will say in fairness, like I am not a conservative investor whatsoever. Like I almost <laughs> completely invest in cryptocurrency yeah, because no, of the man. heavy upside. Yeah. yeah. So I, I'm a very aggressive investor. Um, my only issue with NFTs is, um, kind of, as you were saying, right. It's very different from buying like, um, and I guess more on the consumer side, right. For, uh, I understand mm -hmm. like artists, like you want to be able to say like, Oh, here, I can prove that like I made this like right. that is you know good utility but as far as buying it and making it a consumable to say like oh i own this piece of art right you know the mona lisa right in the louvre like we know that is the authentic official mona yeah. lisa like you can make you know a replica but it will never be the exact mm -hmm. mona lisa um but online i can literally just 
download that exact <laughs> picture and it is every bit as digitally accurate as yeah. the one that's stored on this NFT blockchain, yeah. you know, and it's like, so you're not getting that authenticity in the sense of, you know, I'm buying an original one of a kind, you know, mm -hmm. the artist specifically drew up this piece and only I have it. It's like, no, everyone has just as much that original artwork as you do. I feel like a lot of people are making money off of them just because it's a hot topic and everybody's yep. like trying to figure out what it is. So everybody's kind of just jumping in, but you know, for the future, I want to see, you know, something that, me having this link ought to mean more than just I can click it and see a picture because I can go online, Google right now. Hey, look, I see the same picture he sees, but I don't have to, you know, I didn't have to pay $20,000 yeah. for a link. But that's not to say it can't change in the future. I just am holding off on purchasing them, you know, until I see a little bit more that says, oh, okay, yeah, there's something to this besides just hype and speculation. Yeah, speculation has been an interesting thing. I think there was a, um, this thing that happened with, I think it was Kim Kardashian or maybe another celebrity. They had yep. basically advertised their the thing they invested in. I don't know if it was an NFT yeah. or a crypto. Uh, I think it, it was a crypto coin. I think it was a Ethereum Max. Yeah, I, I don't remember what was it was, but that was basically speaking to the fact that speculation can completely drive the value of this this crypto or NFT. And that kind of questions the inherent value that the digital platform or the digital content has the digital asset mm -hmm. and then everybody bought in and then next thing you know because it was worth nothing it plummeted and people were pissed yep. <laughs> and so <Yeah. laughs> find that with the nft but the cool thing i like about nft too though i think you get royalty so like let's say i'm the original content creator of the cat that i had referenced mm -hmm. earlier every time i sell it to someone for 10 bucks because no one knows who i am as an artist and so it's not really worth crap and then mm -hmm. it blows up in fame and then it sells for $10,000, $100,000. Every time I, it gets sold again, I'm getting a royalty because I'm the original content creator. But not only that, mm -hmm. I feel like there has to be a way for it to be regulated in the sense that you were talking about. If someone can just completely download the exact same replica, mm -hmm. it, there has to be a way for like that to show up as falsified. You know, like the right. way for an internet to like, let's say if you screenshot it, there's nothing you can do. It'll show up as void on your phone. Yeah, and I, I think that would be a really um, good idea uh, as far as like, you know, authentication and sort of making something mm -hmm. the original, unique creation. I think royalties are a big deal. That is, you know, kind of a cool feature to be able to like, okay, no matter what this sells for in the future, I always get, you know, kickback off of that, especially mm -hmm. as it increases in value. But, you know, for the most part, we are seeing just kind of people making random crap. Um, on stuff. NFTs, the oh the dumbest God. stuff. Yeah. yeah, you know the hype has to die down where people are just buying stuff just to say like they're involved in the new space, right? Mm -hmm. Um, you know that is my not financial, but low key a little bit. If I could give anyone a piece of financial advice. If you're going to get into this NFT crypto space overall, buy something with utility, uh, buy mm -hmm. something that has some sort of intrinsic benefit for the future. Um, you don't just buy stuff like allegedly Ethereum Max, which, you know, had no value, didn't do anything, didn't add anything to the space. Uh, if you're going to buy, you would buy something just throwing stuff out there, not necessarily recommending, but like Bitcoin, you're seeing there would be 
physical places that are taking Bitcoin, right? Yeah. Or, you know, buy one of these coins that, that do the research, right? There are certain coins that have super fast transaction speeds. So it's like, okay, this can be useful for sending money internationally, mm-hmm. basically in an instant. Things that are actually going to add value to our legitimate real world so unless these digital assets add something to it maybe be a little bit more skeptical about what you're throwing in are you buying hype or are you buying something that actually could possibly help your real life situation mm-hmm. well that was another great episode of the mindful yes, practice podcast we want to thank y'all again for tuning in joining us sitting down with us um you know as always please like and subscribe And, you know, we look forward to seeing y'all on the next one. Yes, sir. Thank you for joining. Peace. YouTube and the Spotify algorithm, you know. (laughs) Smash that like button. Can't buy it twice, so don't get it as facts. Your music is trash and the feature is tax. How you there, bro, but you still moving packs? How you plan leading the pack from the back? Yeah, all my dogs will attack. Yeah, I don't bang, but I stack. Yeah, money I bring in the bag. Uh, money I bring in the bag. Big bags, we securing everything that we ain't never had, and we like to pop. We meet almost broke when I'm looking at the dash Cause I'm driving so fast We came a long way, we ain't never going back Haters always ask how you get it like that I've been working, I've been grinding, you ain't living like that You ain't living like that, yeah I'm just addicted to winning Yeah, this is more than a commitment Yeah, money don't mean that you living Yeah, yeah You know I'ma start what I finish Whenever it's broke, I'ma fix it Get money and get out your feelings